This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The founder of this company, 10 years ago, was trying to sell his house and went through real estate agent after real estate agent, and they were all talking a great game. And this guy who is selling his house, the founder of this uh, this company, he's, you know, he's kind of an important guy and kind of, you know, should get the best treatment. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company and it went into business, I think, three years ago. Their deal is their word is their bond and they are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. We have a thousand agents across the country and they are people that listen to this show. And so when you go through real estate agents, I trust it's sent to somebody who already you already know their sensibilities. They already are cut from exactly the same cloth. There's got to be a better way. There is. Real estate agents, I trust.com. Charlie Harari show. Ethan Couch, the affluenza teen, is sentenced for two years. Why that matters to us. Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton faced off this week and ahead of the New York primary. And what does the Sanders campaign say about maybe the the worst part about us? Ted Cruz doing his own thing, teaching us a lesson about life. Kobe Bryant played his last game. And I had dinner last night with an individual who was arguably one of the most successful financial advisors in New York. And he gave me a secret to his success. What does it all have to do with each other? Well, it's all coming up right now. Delving into current events to uncover relevant wisdom. Uncover relevant wisdom. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Charlie Harari Show. Great to be back with you again. Hope everybody's doing well. Another week has gone by as we chart ourselves to summer. It is just amazing to me just how quickly time flies. Don't you agree? It's just unbelievable how much the year has been flying by. And when you think about it, I think that's how life works. I think I think we're always flying if we don't, if we don't take a second to stop and think. And for those of you who are joining us for the first time, welcome to the Charlie Harari Show. This is the show in which we try to take a minute, take a break, look at the world, and figure out what's really going on behind the scenes. What are the the principles, what are sort of the, the reasons why things are happening versus just sort of looking at the news. You ever get that feeling where like you're just looking at more and more and more news and you're not really sure why things are happening? That's what we do here on the show. We try to take a step back and figure out why things are happening that will allow us to then be smarter about what to do about it, right? And that's a moment that a lot of us don't have. And for those that are joining us and you take the time to think through some things that's going on in the world and the news, hopefully to allow us to be smarter and stronger um, and more strategic going forward for the rest of our days. You know, today is a show that I want to, I was thinking a lot about this show over the week. You know, my wife and I just had a conversation about friends. You ever have this feeling sometimes where one of your friends lets you down? So this happened recently in our lives where one of my wife's friends let her down. And, um, whatever, she was upset about it and it was hard to get through it because it was a close friend and she did, you know, she just, you know, did things that sometimes close friends shouldn't do. And we sat around and we, we saw this little bit of advice and we tried to apply it into our lives and it really made a huge difference. We said, instead of trying to expect from people a hundred percent, 
right? You expect, we expect so much from our family members, from our friends. Instead of doing that, why don't we instead take whatever good somebody else has and expect nothing else, right? So in this case for this friend, I told my wife, why don't you do the following? Let's try to look at your friend and assume that she doesn't owe you anything. And all you have to do is find the one thing that she brings, the value she brings that you can learn from, or that she brings to you, and just celebrate that. Right? And my wife said, okay, that sounds like an interesting idea. I never thought of it that way, but okay, I'll do that. And over the past few days, it had such a significant impact on my wife's happiness. She looked at this one friend in an entirely different way and was able to identify the thing that she learned from her, that she respected her, and her friendship is totally different. Now, does she rely on her as much? Probably not, but that friend really wasn't reliable in the first place, but she just couldn't see it. And I thought about that principle, about being able to look at people that you disagree with, people that you may not like, people that you may not respect, and say to yourself, okay, if you're out in the world, if you're brought to me, if I see you, if you're in my life, even if you're not really in my life, but if you're in my life, then I can learn something from you that will allow me to both respect you and two, learn from you. And I thought to myself, what a great way to approach the news, to approach world events, to approach people that I may disagree with, but at the same time, take the time to learn something from so that I could grow from them and ultimately respect them for them, even if I totally disagree with them. You know, I saw this video years ago that blew me away. There was a rabbi that lived in Israel named Rabbi Noah Weinberg. And this rabbi had taken, he had, ran, he had run this huge school, and he had all these young rabbis underneath him, like his, you know, his mentees. He was training them to, you know, be in charge. So he takes them all to Auschwitz. You can imagine, you know, the rabbi gets all these other rabbis and they fly from Israel to Auschwitz. And he goes through the the whole history of the Jewish people. I mean, and it's not a, a secret to any of these guys. I'm sure they, they had um, relatives that survived the Holocaust or, you know, they knew of people that survived the Holocaust. So walking through the chambers of Auschwitz was nothing new for these guys. And he gets them in the middle of this area, and they hand them a microphone. And they're videotaping it. And I saw the videotape, and I was blown away. So if, you're, if you have to, like, if, if the videotape pauses and we had to put money as to what the rabbi is going to say, what do you think he's going to say? He's going to talk about anti-Semitism. He's going to talk about being vigilant. He's going to talk about, you know, about enemies and fighting our enemies or, you know, whatever one would talk about when they are in a place of such utter destruction and despair. And you know what he says? You know how he opens the speech? He opens with, what can we learn 
from Adolf Hitler. That's how he opens the speech. Guys, what can we learn from Adolf Hitler? Now, I'm watching this going, did he just say that? <laughs> did the rabbi just wait, wait, did the rabbi just say, what can we learn from Adolf Hitler? Are you joking me? Zero. Zero. He is at the, he is the root of all evil. What what can you possibly see from someone's life at that level that has any value outside his death? The answer is nothing, Rabbi. There's nothing you can learn from Adolf Hitler. And here's this big rabbi, the big white beard, well-respected, brilliant man, in front of other rabbis, and he begins with, what can we learn from Adolf Hitler? Now, he went on to this incredible lecture. It was a short lecture where he spoke about the idea of dying for your cause and being methodical in your plans. And he basically went through Adolf Hitler, whose life purpose was to destroy the Jewish people and to build the Aryan race. But through that struggle, spent so much time and effort and attention to make sure every detail was watch to to do you know to build to do what it took to follow his disastrous horrible evil intentions but it still showed him that when you have an intention it is less relevant if it's just an intention if you're not willing to put in the time and the effort to make it happen and I'm, I watched this on video, and I can, and I'm watching. And the video camera had, um, you know, span the rabbis, and they're they're aghast. I mean, they're like, oh my gosh! But when he was done, he basically took the worst place in the world and turned it into the greatest lesson for how to teach, how to inspire, how to rebuild, and how to become great people. And that, to me, was one of the greatest moments because it showed the power of a man to look at his enemy and learn something from him. And so, for this, for this show, I want to identify two people and a process who I have, in the past, been very critical of. I still am critical of. I still feel that, uh, that they both would make terrible presidents, and we'll, we would be worse off as a country if they are elected. But just for this show, draw out what I think is one of the most important lessons that we need to know in life, and it is literally unfolding in front of us. Now, if you've heard any of the shows that I've done, you know that the two people that I resist and more than anything, is Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. And there's a reason for it. And I think it is their greatness that, that, that makes them them is the same reason why I resist them so much. And that's because they're, I don't think they stay within the realm of possibility. They live off in the fringe. 
They say things that are unsustainable. They make promises that they can't keep. And as a result, they're gaining unfair advantage because as opposed to thinking I have to do this, they're just saying things. And I think both of their positions are wrong. I think Bernie Sanders, his socialism is a broken system that's only going to cause havoc and hurt the economic engine and the fairness. And on the same side, Donald Trump. I think that his his approach towards how he deals with things is more of a, a bully and less of a statesman. But that being said, there is what to learn from both of them, and I want to talk about that on this show. And I believe if you stick with me through the show, you will see something that will allow you throughout this period of time to be able to see something maybe in yourself that you can see unfolding as this presidential election unfolds. So I hope by the time the show is done, you be able to now look at the candidacies of Trump and or Sanders, and when you're watching them campaign or watching the news, you can learn more from them than you could today. So let's understand both of them. Both Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump are very similar candidates. They're both outside the fringe. They're both non-establishment. They're both populist in that way. And they're both able to somehow do something that will grab the muster, if you will, of the people, excite them. And they've both come at incredibly opportune times where the country is going is is coming off the heels of an Obama presidency who that has done nothing in comparison to what we expected. Eight years ago, when we're screaming, yes, we can, I wasn't, but when people were screaming, yes, we can, and so much of our country sat around in January and watched him give his inauguration speech, we thought he would bring an enormous w- growth into the world. And he hasn't on all on all measures. Most of his policies are, for the most part, you know, not anywhere near what he had expected. I think the liberals, the left, the real left is disenfranchised. I think the center hasn't really gained much. Middle class is still, if anything, and worse. And to the right, they're just he's completely despised. He's backed the wrong horses. He's made deals with our enemies. He's broken everything, every promise down. And his administration is filled with so much of the hypocrisy that he ran against that we're basically at a point where we're all saying to ourselves, maybe government just doesn't work. You know, in this backdrop, two horses come riding in, one on Donald Trump and one with Bernie Sanders. And Donald Trump on the Republicans and Bernie Sanders on to the Democrats. And they both start to bang a drum of, we need to change everything. System's broken. Now, I just want to give you a sense. Bernie Sanders is probably going to lose the nomination. This is, as you know, this week was New York, and he got shellacked in New York. So he's pretty much done. Now, just to give you a sense that had the Republicans had a candidate like the Democrats, we'd be saying the same thing about Donald Trump, right? If you think about Bernie Sanders and his and his popularity, that's the same about the same amount of popularity as Donald Trump, right? They're both somehow polling in that 30, 35%-ish range. Maybe they're pushing a little bit to 40, but the difference between the Democrats and the Republicans is that the Democrats have one established establishment well-funded, well-oiled, everyone behind her candidate, and the Republicans don't. 
Ted Cruz is an outsider. He is a, a he's an avowed outsider. In fact, he would have been the outsider but for Donald Trump. All the establishment candidates have pretty much all got knocked out. You know, Jeb Bush and all the, the and his crew. And what you have is John Kasich, who is not necessarily establishment. So because you've got John Kasich and Ted Cruz both not being that one candidate, they are splitting the vote against Donald Trump. But if you, if you think about it, if if they both would be the one, if they would be the Hillary Clinton, so to speak, of the Republican side, that one candidate that would capture both of those parties and take that vote, you'd be looking at the same story. You'd say Donald Trump got really close, but he is not going to get anywhere near what he needs to get. So they're almost, it's incredible, don't you think? They're almost identical candidacies taking place right now on both sides of the aisle. And when you think of their candidacy, you have to start by thinking about the moment that they decided to run. Now, I'm going to spend the few minutes in the show to giving people the benefit of the doubt. It could be that you run because of arrogance. It could be that you run because you're, you're just so full of yourself. I get all those arguments. Let's just put it to the side for the moment. And let's exercise a drop of benefit of the doubt. In fact, I've been reading a few times people that have been close to both Sanders and Trump, both saying that at this point in the election, if it's about you, you usually drop out. That there's something that you believe in. It may be the beliefs may be crazy, but you believe in something beyond yourself that is the engine that takes you through this process, that t- that brings you to where you are along the way. Okay, so for the moment, let's sort of like assume that Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders are not just incredibly arrogant. They're only doing this to themselves. And just let's allow that for the next you know few minutes of the, of the show to let that go, and let's talk a little bit about the moment that everything started. When did it all start? What happened? And so, if you go to both campaigns, what you find is a very similar moment. There was a moment in both campaigns where Bernie Sanders, and the story that he tells is that Bernie Sanders is sitting with his wife, and they're deciding if they should run or not. They're in a diner. They're a long shot by a million. (laughs) They weren't even a long shot. They were a no shot. Do you remember when Bernie Sanders first came into the election? Like, he was like a fly on Hillary's shoulder. This was supposed to be a coronation, not a fight, not especially not a fist fight, which is what this has become. And a... The story goes, and he tells it at least, um, him and his wife Jane are sitting at the diner, and a veteran comes over to them that can't pay his bills and says, you know, he was his senator, and he says, Bernie, you've been fighting for us forever, you got to change the system, and i got to get paid, and i got to take care of my family. We need you. And Bernie looks at his wife Jane, and Jane looks at him and goes, okay. And they start running. And what you find from this campaign from the beginning, as much as I think he is wrong on so many issues, as much as I hope he never makes it to the White House, what you find is that this campaign goes through two or three basic pieces, basic phases. One, an idea, a platform, a new way. Two, a moment where they were had to make the decision to put themselves out there. And three, we'll talk about in a minute when we come back, because we're going to talk about what these three steps mean, what these three phases mean, and why these are the three phases that actually are part of everybody's growth. This is Charlie Harari. You're listening to the Charlie Harari Show on the Blaze Radio Network. (laughs) 
This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. The founder of this company 10 years ago was trying to sell his house and went through real estate agent after real estate agent, and they were all talking a great game. And this guy who is selling his house, the founder of this uh, this company, he's, you know, he's kind of an important guy and, kind of, you know, should get the best treatment. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company and it went into business, I think, three years ago. Their deal is their word is their bond. And they are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. We have a thousand agents across the country and they are people that listen to this show. And so when you go through real estate agents, I trust it's sent to somebody who already you already know their sensibilities. They already are cut from exactly the same cloth. There's got to be a better way. There is real estate agents. I trust dot com. You're listening to The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to The Charlie Harari Show. Great to have you here. Thanks for sticking around. And we're talking about Bernie Sanders, Donald Trump, and the ability to learn something from everybody. So so Bernie Sanders starts to run for president because he's sitting at a diner and somebody says to him, you got to do this, Bernie. You got to take care of us. You got to jump in and you got to change the system. And Bernie turns to his wife and his wife says, okay, go. I can't hold you back. And why is that? Because probably Bernie's saying this is my last chance, right? I'm sure they were talking about changing the world since he started to get involved in politics. And he's like 150 years old, so there's only so many more years he has to run, and this is his moment. And he jumps in and does it. And if you sort of analyze this process, what you find is three aspects to him and his campaign. One is the idea of his idea his platform, his new way, his method to the madness, his madness, right? I believe in socialism, he says. I believe you got to break up the big banks. I believe in all the things that he believes in, his theory, his worldview. That's the first thing, is that he has a worldview. He has an idea. He has something that he wants to add to the world. The second thing that you, that he goes through is the moment to jump in. Now, what is that moment of jumping in? That is the moment of vulnerability. Vulnerability is the hardest thing that every leader goes through. Because it is so much easier to have an idea and to sit at a diner and talk about it. Because what happens if you're wrong? What, who is out, who's in front of you that's disagreeing with you? Nobody. Two people, ten people, fifty people. When you place yourself in a moment of vulnerability, what happens is you are now able to look bad. You are now able to fail miserably. You are now able to fail in front of so many people. You are now 
open and exposed to so much more criticism than you would have had had you just left it alone. Had Hillary Clinton just left alone being a senator in New York, nobody would care about her email addresses. Nobody would care about Bill's, you know, whatever he did and his crazy... No one would care about the Clintons. She'd be a senator in New York. She'd be a senator for the rest of her life. She'd be making tons of money in her speeches. And it would have been fine had she not pushed herself to run for president. No one would be doing criminal investigations. No one would be questioning them. No one would have known half the stuff that they're doing. When you put yourself out there for greatness, you now subject yourself to more vulnerability, to more exposure. Exposure is where most of us crumble. We're scared to expose ourselves. We are so focused on our negatives and our insecurity that we're so scared to be in front of our bosses, our families, our community, our friends. And so when we have an idea or a project or a thought or a way of seeing the world, we're scared to put ourselves out in public or in front of enough people so that it can actually make a difference because it's going to bring a level of exposure that we're not used to. Bernie Sanders is a completely, I think, off-his-mind senator from a tiny little part of our country and decides that he doesn't care about the exposure. It'll be what it'll be. And the third piece of all of this is pain, challenge. Lots of people can talk. Lots of people can get up in front of a lot of people and say it in front of public. And But how many people can actually dig in their heels and endure the complete and utter pain of running for an office like president? I am astounded, to be honest with you, that someone of Bernie Sanders' age has the stamina to be able to get on airplanes and to get on stump speeches and to stand in front of audiences and to do it literally non-stop for the past eight, nine, ten months. He's, he's not a young guy. He's in his 70s. This is the time where most 70-year-olds sit on the couch and watch Jeopardy. He is flying into towns at 2 o'clock in the morning, leaving the airplane, getting in front of a crowd who's waiting for him since 11, giving a stump speech, going to bed, and doing 12 events that day, only to then leave that state and go to another state and do it again. The grueling, crazy schedule that these guys endure is the challenge that they need to become the people that they're meant to be. And so here's a guy, Bernie Sanders, who's about to challenge the institution that he has from, that is about to take the country to a place that it has never been, that is about to say things that no one has ever said in this country because it doesn't make any sense, because this country isn't founded on socialism, it is founded on capitalism, it is founded on a way of life that he doesn't agree with, so he is going to go out into the world and put forth a view that even the Democrats in his party, even Barack Obama, who is as left as left can be, is not even supporting. 
He is to the left of Barack Obama. I, I didn't know there was a left of Barack Obama, but he is there. He's going to go out into the world with opinions and views that has not been vetted, that has not been approved, that nobody who has agreed with, that is completely off the reservation, and go out into the crowd and say... These are my views for why we are in problems, and here's how I can solve it. And he is willing to not only share his views, not only put himself out there and be subject to ridicule, to criticism, to intimidation, to complete and utter exposure. He is willing to go out there and to endure the pain, the challenge, the hurt that's going to take him and his family the toll to, because he believes so much in what he is saying. And whether he wins or he loses, which I hope he loses, like I've said millions of times, you have to stand back and ask yourself, look at these college kids. You know, you think to yourself, like, if you've ever heard anyone give any level of analysis on millennials, all you hear from millennials is like that they are the most selfish generation, and it's the me generation, and they're always on their, their game consoles, and their iPhones, and they can't talk to people, and they always got to be stimulated, and like, there's like this... You know, entire sort of diatribe against the intellectual abilities of kids under the age of 25. And I gotta tell you, I am astounded by a Bernie Sanders rally. You see an old man, an old bald man with no oratory, I mean, very little oratory capacity. I mean, he's a good guy, but he's not an orator standing on a podium in a college or in a wherever, and he is literally all you have. There are no screens. There's no laser light show. Beyonce's not opening up with a dance set. It's just Bernie Sanders and a podium. And he stands behind the podium with his notes, and he's talking about big banks, and he's talking about wages, and he's talking about whatever, and you see college kids standing and waving and cheering and staying for the entire lecture and you're asking yourself this may have been the first lecture they've ever gone to and not fell asleep in their lives and if you would have to put money as to who that would be the last demographic you would put in is an old white bald man but his message is resonating with them his message is coming from a place of vulnerability, of being authentic, of enduring the challenge of the road, of I am doing this because I believe in it. And if you believe in something and you're willing to expose yourself and you're willing to go through the challenges that you need to get it done, you will be surprised how much success you will reach in your lives. When we come back, we're going to talk about Donald Trump, how similar the Sanders story is to the Trump story, and then we're going to speak about how it applies into our lives, and also maybe even quote from a little bit of bit from the Bible as we are entering into a holiday uh, that the Jews are going to be celebrating called Passover, and it reminiscent, it's reminiscent of the famous story of Exodus. And we're going to talk about how, in fact, 
That's the story of Exodus. It's all coming up when we come back. You're listening to The Charlie Harari Show on the Blaze Radio Network. This is The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Fox Sexton. Hillary is not a pleasant person. I am sick of the Sanders campaign. You're like, oh, God. Never Hillary, everybody. Hashtag never Hillary. I mean, I'm not one. I, I don't have any tattoos, but if I get one, it's going to have to say never Hillary. Because uh, that's how dedicated to this idea I am. Never Hillary. Buck Sexton. Weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. And welcome back to The Charlie Harari Show. Great to be with you. Thanks so much for listening to The Blaze Radio Network talking about the steps to greatness. The three steps to greatness. Having an opinion, having an idea, thinking through your idea, not just willy-nillying it, obviously, but having a, a worldview, being able to expose yourself and being vulnerable, and then enduring the challenge to get that out to the people. These, by the way, are the three steps in anything. It's not just in politics. It is in any level of business, of community, of anything that you're doing. Break down great people into three buckets. You will find that almost every single story has the same principles. Somebody had a view Someone had a new way of doing things. Someone had an idea. They exposed themselves. They were vulnerable to other people. They were criticized. And they endured the pain to move the idea from their brain into the world. You know, I just saw this incredible documentary on Walt Disney. You know, when you look back at Walt Disney, you know, if I would just stop anyone who doesn't know anything about Walt Disney and say, what, what's Walt Disney's life? It seems to me that it's like fun and games, No. Right, like who doesn't want a life where all that you know he's you know making cartoons, he's got a theme park, he's got like you know, it's like fun, 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 fun. What a great job! Wouldn't we all want to be Walt Disney? But if you go through his life, you find an incredible thing. Walt Disney had a very, very difficult career. Very difficult. First of all, his life was difficult. He grew up mostly without any money. His father, Elias, was a farmer. Well, he was a lot of things in life, but one of the things that he was was a farmer that couldn't make a living. He was very hard on him. He had a very difficult childhood. And even when he started to get into the world of animation, his work didn't get immediate success. I mean, Walt Disney actually created a character called... Oswald the Rabbit. I don't know if you remember. And anyone here knows if you know Oswald the Rabbit, that was Walt Disney's character, and his partner in New York actually stole it from him. It's an incredible story. He had a partnership with a company in New York. He was living in California. This was in think of the late twenties, and he gets on a train to go down to New York to to work out the details of their company. And meanwhile, when he got when he gets there, the partner basically said, "I've hired away your animators, and I've taken the rights of Oswald the Rabbit, destroying Walt Disney, destroying him." And he goes back to L.A. and on the way back to L.A., he actually starts to come with a new character with a little bit of smaller ears, named, you guessed it, Mickey. Mickey actually came because someone stole Oswald, and he, Mickey exploded. 
And if you go through Walt Disney's life, you find here's the life of an individual with a dream, with an imagination. He was the first one to ever say we're going to take animation and put it into a feature. That never happened before. Cartoons before Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which was the first feature that was a cartoon, an animated feature. Cartoons were like slapstick, you know, those like slapstick, like, you know, the cartoons were like, you know, the wolf is chasing the whatever, the pigs, and he hits the tree and the apples fall on his head. And that's, that's the level, that's what cartoons were. They were shorts. They were, they were mostly unspoken. They were, they didn't invoke emotion. It wasn't a, there was no plot. There was no, you know, uh, tension and characters and they didn't develop. And the first one to ever do that was Walt Disney in Snow White. And if you go through his life, you find it's a very similar pattern to what's going on in the presidential elections. There's a guy with a dream, and his dream was to bring animation to the world in a new way, to turn animation into an art form. And his dream was something that didn't happen overnight. He's thought this thing through for years, and he had to expose himself. He literally almost lost the business. Him and his brother Roy were, had to go through so much to finance these dreams. The world around them, the Hollywood world, didn't give them the credit they deserved. And then he had to endure the challenge of actually bringing it to market. The, actual, the, the, the challenge of being able to say and do the things you need to do, the, the financial challenges, the, 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 the workers that picketed on him and the unionized on him, and, and, and all the times where he had to endure whatever he had to go through to get his vision. It didn't just happen to him. There is nobody in the world. There's nobody in the world that has done anything that hasn't gone through these three steps. That hasn't said to themselves, I have something that I'm thinking in my head. I have a new way of doing things. I have an idea. I can do something. I want to be something. I'm going to expose myself. And I'm going to endure the challenge to get it done. Those three steps are the three steps for greatness in life. Now, as much as I don't, don't like Donald Trump, you got to say to yourself, Oh my gosh, it's almost the same thing. Here's a guy with very specific views. You may not agree with his views, but they're his views. And here's a guy who believes, I believe it now, it took me a long time and a lot of research, but I believe in my core that he, although is self-centered, he, although is a bully, does want and does believe he could make America great the same way that Bernie Sanders thinks he can make America great. Bernie Sanders thinks he can do it his way, Donald Trump thinks he can do it his way, but Bernie and Donald both believe that there's another way to get it done. Donald Trump stands in front and runs for president. He understands that once you run for president, your life is ripped open. He's a billionaire. He's got houses in different parts of the country. He flies on a private jet. He didn't get a private jet because he's running for president, like the rest of the candidates do. He has a private jet. He could live his life in complete and utter luxury and comfort and style and never once have to do anything that's going to put him or his family at risk. But he puts himself and he exposes himself to such a level. I mean, you have to almost ask yourself, Donald Trump is such a satire today. He is now the laughingstock of the, the world. There isn't a Saturday Night Live that doesn't have a skit of him. There isn't a day that goes by that there's not some cartoon being drawn and some magazine of him. There isn't 
there isn't anything that he does, any business he hasn't had. There's nothing in the world that Donald Trump has that is now not being vetted and turned over and analyzed. And if people could make fun and yell and scream, they will. He doesn't walk into a pro, he doesn't walk into a rally without protesters outside. He is under constant bombardment from critics. He is ultimately and completely exposed. But he has an opinion. And he believes in himself enough to know that that opinion matters. And he is willing to endure all of the pain, all of the exposure and the vulnerability that goes when you put yourself under the light and then go through all the pain and the challenge to make it happen. To stand in rallies while people protest you. To sit in, at, at, at news conferences while, you know, the, while, while reporters question you. To endure a schedule where you're running and crisscrossing the world speaking at events. The pain, the challenge of going through the presidency because you have a vision for the world, to stand up and say something as bold, whether you agree or not, as his opinions on immigrants or Muslims or trade or China, the ability to stand up and make those claims, while you may disagree with, and I may disagree with, you have to take a step back and say, hey, that took an enormous amount of guts to say what you believe in, now, here's the key. The reason why Hillary Clinton is not, has not squashed Bernie Sanders, now, the reason why Cruz and Kasich haven't is because it's obvious, because they don't have that level of support. But Hillary Clinton, this should have been a joke. The reason why she hasn't squashed Bernie Sanders is because when she speaks, you don't believe it comes from a place of honesty and truth. You think that she's trying to make to become president. But when Bernie speaks, you think you feel like it's what he believes in. Same thing with Donald Trump. The reason why Donald Trump even has any level of support is because when he speaks, you 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 now feel like you're getting what he believes in. And that I think is one of the most underrated skills that each and every one of us don't use enough, which is the ability to share your world view, to think your world view matters, to think about your ideas that go on in your mind and to take them seriously, seriously enough that you're able to say, I want to share this with people. And more importantly, it's worth being shared. To take yourself seriously. Because you have something to give to the world. And if you don't allow yourself that ability to give it to them, we're not going to have it. And if you don't think through your ideas enough so that it just sounds like everybody else's, then what are you sharing? But if you take yourself seriously enough, you will notice and see that you've got what to share. And if you're willing, if you're willing to think through those ideas, to share them, to expose yourself, and to potentially fail miserably and then to endure the challenge it's going to take to get your ideas out there you will be shocked by just how far you can go in life because that's how the world works 
It is filled with people that are waiting for those few unique individuals that have the idea that they're, some, that they're valuable, that take themselves seriously, that expose themselves, that go through the challenge. And we all wait for those people. And you have a choice in life to either be one of those people or be someone else that's a passenger on the bus because there's no two other ways. Look at Steve Jobs. Remember Steve Jobs? Steve Jobs started Apple and was fired from the company. That's the moment where you're supposed to say, I lose. He was given so much money because of his stock in Apple, he could have retired very well and then just licked his wounds and complained and spoke to his buddies at the coffee shop and got involved in whatever, whatever, whatever. But he didn't. He used his time to start Next, to start Pixar. He stayed in the game. He came back. He made the iPad. He made the iPod. He changed the world. You know why? Because he has a view as to how technology is supposed to work. And he exposed himself. And even when he could have retreated, he stayed exposed. And he went through the pain and the challenge that you need to do to get to where you got to be. Go through every single leader. Go through every single figure. And you will find a very similar thing. The ability to have something that you believe in to have something that you're fighting for, to expose yourself and to risk failure, and to ultimately go out and do it again and again and again and again and again. And that, to me, is what presidential elections are really all about. Are they not? That's what they are, right? They are the test of endurance. And that's why when, when, when I think when candidates drop out early, they're dropping out early mostly because they can't endure it. They're getting that initial, uh, you're, you're not going to make it. And then once they get that initial, you're not going to make it, it becomes much harder for them to decide that they're going to continue on with it afterwards. That's how it works. By the way, that's how marriages work. That's why so many marriages fail. It's not because two people can't live together. They can live together. It's because it takes a long time. It's challenging. That's why ideas don't make it. That's why companies fail. It's because either the idea isn't well thought out and thought through. It's either because someone didn't want to expose themselves and be subject to that level of criticism and or failure. Or it's because they didn't have the, the stamina to endure the pain. When we come back, we're going to talk about Passover and the Exodus. And how the stories of the Israelites getting out of Egypt actually tells us the exact same lesson. This is Charlie Harari. You're listening to The Charlie Harari Show on the Blaze Radio Network. This is The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin. Talking to all of us who say, I won't vote for Trump. Because as of last night, eventually there's a good chance you knew that this would boil down to you vote for Donald Trump or you vote for a known domestic enemy of the Constitution of the United States of America. And right now, that's looking pretty darn likely a choice. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. It's not just about the facts. 
It's about perspective. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari. Welcome back to the Charlie Harari Show. This is Charlie Harari. Thank you so much for tuning in. You're listening to the Blaze Radio Network. This is the show in which we talk about some of the lessons that you can see in the world and bring it into our own lives. And today we're really talking about the three steps to greatness. One, your idea, your man- your platform, your worldview. Two, your ability to expose yourself vulnerability, and three, your ability to endure that level of pain. And this is the week that um, the Jews are celebrating Passover. Passover is the holiday in which uh, they commemorate the leaving of Egypt. The Israelites left Egypt. Pharaoh, everyone, if you remember the Bible story, Pharaoh was a bad guy, enslaved the Jews for 210 years. Moses showed up. Moses was like, hey guys, we're out of here. They're like, yeah, we don't think so. He's like, okay, we're going to go round. He goes 10 rounds with Pharaoh. 10 plagues later, Pharaoh lets them out, and they leave, and they enter into the desert, and then ultimately into the promised land. But if you look into the story, you find something amazing. In fact, a lot of the medieval commentators say that if you look at the population of Jews that were in Egypt and that left, and you look at the verses you find, that something astounding. What you will see is that the percentage of Jews that actually left Egypt was only 20%. Think about that. 100% of the Jews have been slaves for 210 years, 100% have watched 10 plagues, and only 20% leave Egypt. Why? And the answer that they give is because... They didn't want to go. The commentators on the Bible say that the vast majority of the Israelites actually chose to not leave with Moses into the desert. Contrary to what, you know, you know, Cecil DeMille did in, in Ten Commandments in Charlton Heston, most of the Israelites decided to stay back. And the question is why? And the answer is, I hope after this whole show, fairly obvious. Because the whole idea of becoming a free nation was an idea that Moses put forth from God to Pharaoh, right? It's a worldview, step one. You need, you need that level of courage to put it forth to the most powerful man at the world at the time, Pharaoh. Two, you had to suffer the exposure and the vulnerability of that idea, standing at the world stage and having him say no ten times. But three, and maybe the most important of the three, because that's where the rest of the nation comes in, you have to endure the pain, the challenge of getting your idea out. Well, what did God put in between Egypt and the Promised Land? A desert. God could have had the, the, the Jews walk from Egypt and then sort of slip right into Israel. That could have been fine. They could have literally got on buses and have been hanging out in Jaffa or Jerusalem or Tel Aviv, and they could have been having a good time by the end of the night, but they weren't. He put them in the desert. Why? Because he was teaching them the ultimate lesson, which is the, the path between Egypt, which is where you're, where, what you're not, and the promised land, which is what you are, is a desert. It's a barren wasteland. It's pain. It's, tor- it's, it's endurance. It's uncertainty. And if you're going to be great in life, you're going to have to endure that. The whole story of Exodus is the story of a nation with an idea. To be monotheistic, to believe in one God. To not be a servant to your uh, depraved desires, that which is the culture of Egypt at the time. And the idea... The platform, the worldview, required incredible vulnerability to expose yourself to 
potential torture and failure at the most epic proportions. And even from all of that, when it was done, you have to go out into a desert and go through the endurance and the challenge and the pain to make your idea happen. Because that's how greatness lies. In your life, ask yourself, have I taken myself seriously enough to share my ideas with the world? Have I allowed myself to be vulnerable and exposed? Do I shudder criticism? Do I just take it? Do I know that criticism and and feedback is part of the loop of being great? And am I willing to endure whatever it's going to take to become the person and to share the things that I believe need to be shared? If you do those three things, you're on your path, no matter what you're doing, to not a great life, not a good life, not a great life, but potentially the ultimate to a life of awesome. This is Charlie Harari. Thank you for listening, tuning in. Thanks for listening to the Charlie Harari Show. Thanks for listening to the Blaze Radio Network. We'll see you next week. Delve into current events to uncover relevant wisdom. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari.